Hey Atari Hackers, welcome to this week's episode. In this week, we are going to be talking about our editorial process and how it has changed with the advent of search intent, because search intent has changed the way a lot of people need to create content. And it's been a bit of a debate and you've probably heard me rant quite a lot about it and the fact that you, know, you need to create copy-paste content to actually rank. Well, it's not exactly the truth. We have been able to kind of walk around it and find ways to, you know, be better, do better with our content while at the same time using search intent to be sure our content is going to rank really high. So if you want to create content that ranks high on Google very, very often, I can't tell you every time because that's not how SEO works, but very often, this is going to be useful. I also recommend if you have freelance writers, if you have full-time writers, to give them this podcast episode to listen because one, it boosts our downloads and it makes me happy. And two, they will probably be able to pick a bunch of tips to actually do better content for your sites. So I'm not going to tease you more and let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome to the Atari Hacker Podcast. As you can hear in my voice, I'm a little bit more energetic than usual on the podcast, mostly because usually we record this at night and I'm quite tired, to be honest. I had a whole day of work. And today we are actually traveling tomorrow to Portugal with Mark to do our quarterly planning and do a bunch of stuff. And therefore we are kind of catching up on podcasts and recording in the morning. So I'm pretty excited for that one, but mostly because it's the morning and because I get to ask Mark how it's going again. And that is probably the best part of my week. And I've been doing it like two or three times this week because we recorded pretty like a podcast so mark for the end times this week how's it going still going good i have two <laughs> interesting updates to, to okay. give so this wall behind you it's gonna probably look a different color next time you see me on the the show because it's getting i'm getting the plaster in and getting some paint I, I just got some paint mixed yesterday so it, it's still gonna be super plain i haven't bought any decorations i haven't got a pink <laughs> flamingo for myself yet but i promise you something maybe not a pink flamingo but something along those lines will be making an appearance over there sometime soon yeah your background is like british cuisine you know very plain <laughs> the second thing i have want to say is for anyone who's really confused about why we're doing our quarterly planning in mid-february because we don't run on normal quarters. We <laughs> run them like halfway through the quarter just for reasons. So, yeah. Yeah, because it's cheaper. Because all the corporate uh, corporations book at the right dates and we just book outside of it because it's cheaper. It's, yeah. it's, it's really, we just started doing it one mid-November once and then decided, all right, yeah. well, we just better do it every three months. So Yeah, well, it's fine. It's like, I'm just excited to go to Portugal, to be honest. Uh, that's going to be exciting. But yeah, actually, you got to tell people the truth about your background. Really, it's a green screen and you have like all golden house behind it and then you just put a plain background to just... So that's where all know. my sports cars yeah, live, you know? exactly. Just to not <laughs> brag. Uh, we went through extensive technical changes just for that, so that you put that. It's just a JPEG, really. Anyway, let's talk about uh, the part, today's podcast. And today's podcast is going to be breaking down our editorial process. And I think it's we've done that in the past, but... That was before search intent was so big. That was before a lot of things changed. And overall, we have personally progressed and figured new stuff out, etc. So I thought uh, it would be an interesting one to anyone who is really producing content on their site. And we're just going to make a sequential podcast again. So we're going to be step one, step two, step three, etc. And share kind of like practical tips for each one and how we do things. Uh, and I actually, it's like I was pleased because I have several examples of like YouTube videos that kind of fit in that process that I've done. I'm like, oh, finally, I start to have actually a, a little bit of a YouTube backlog of stuff I've put there that people can go check for more details. So uh, we will be quoting them in time. But I think you wanted to start with what has changed in content. Yeah, so just a few years ago, you could produce, let's say, like a decent article that was unique and you could kind of brute force your way to the top of the SERPs with good SEO and a lot of link building. But that's kind of changed over the last couple of years with the advent of, of search intent. So if you Google any popular commercial or even info query these days, you tend to find that a lot of the results are pretty similar. They have a similar structure. And this is especially true for any affiliate reviews or, or roundup reviews. So what's going on here? Like, Is everyone just producing the same thing? How do we stand out? And how do we make content in such a way that we're actually going to be able to, to rank? So there's a lot of nuance to it. And it's not just, oh, pick a keyword, write about it, and post it anymore, which it kind of was not so long ago. So that's what today's podcast, I guess, is all about. It's like the nuance behind every step of that. So we've made this into an 11-step process. 
And sounds yeah, like a, like a, some kind of weird sect or something, like an eleven-step plan to lose weight or something. Like it's it's pretty much well, that. That's, eleven that's steps. Eleven steps to rank number one on Google, guys. Let's get started. Let's just uh, bring the hype up. But yeah, it's our answer to search intent, and it's kind of like. It's been a while now. It's been refined. You know, it's like people often, like I read discussions on Reddit and stuff and people are like, oh, they're quite slow to adapt, etc." Well, we're not necessarily slow to do these things, but we're slow to talk about them because we like to have some experience behind us. Like the process we're going to talk about has produced hundreds of articles now and even probably like getting to thousands. And it's like, we are confident in it. And I don't like talking about something I've been doing for a week or two weeks. And so that's why often it takes time for us to talk about these things because we you know, refine them, explore things, observe what people do, talk to people. And eventually we talk about it when we're like, okay, that's pretty good. And so let's get started with the first step. And the first step when you create content is to not start writing. The first step is to Google the keywords, keywords slash keywords that you want to rank for. And the first thing to do is understand the high level of the search intent, which is understand what format of article Google is looking for. Really, if you don't match the format of article Google wants for a query, it's still possible to rank, but it's very rare. Like you find 80% plus of the result of any keyword will have the same format, whether it's a list post, a step-by-step post, a recipe, a review, whatever it is, a random preview, a list, that kind of stuff. You will have to match the format, otherwise you're really reducing your chances massively. It doesn't mean you can't rank, but it's much, much lower. Sometimes yeah. for very low competition keywords where not less than 10 people have actually targeted it with a specific post, you will see a list post, a longer question post type format, and it will vary a bit more, else, but yeah. that's when there's nothing else that fits perfectly. So if you're in that situation, look for the the articles or the, the pages which are specifically targeting that keyword. They've got it in the title. That's yeah. what the, the content's about. Yeah, and know, then Yeah. Another thing that I like to do, I mean, first of all, when you Google that query, you kind of want to like click on most of the results and identify the best pages. So like it's kind of a subjective thing. It's like which one is actually like answering the query the best and do I like the most and would I be happy to find if I was searching for that topic? And that's how you pick the competitors to model after you first pick like the pages that just do the best job at being an answer to a query. But also what I like to do is I like to look at the domain metrics. So I tend to have the Ahrefs extension when I Google stuff. So you see all the Ahrefs metrics in Google. And I'm looking for the pages that have the lowest domain metrics. So both uh, lowest link metrics, both on a domain level. So the DR should be like, uh, what is the lowest DR that's ranking top five, for example? And also on the page level, right? Which which pages have like lowish do- domain uh, rating and not too many links, and are still ranking quite well. Because what it's telling me is that this page is not ranking because of all the links that page has. It's ranking because Google likes what's on the page. And since I'm here to create content, I want to match the people who do the best job at that. And so like, yeah, when I pick the pages I want to model after, I pick the pages that I subjectively believe are doing the best job, combined with the pages with the lowest link metrics, both on the domain level and on the page level. And so that you kind of like make a selection of like three, four pages and you'll just like take note of these URLs and they are going to be kind of like your North Star for the content you want to create. And your goal is going to be not to just copy them, but to do something better than them, but to match them to then after or outdo them, you first need to make sure you take the best out of each page. And that's what we're going to be attempting to do here. During that step, I also like to consolidate my keyword selection. So what I mean is that very like a given page doesn't just rank for one keyword and that's it. Pages rank for hundreds of keywords and Google kind of like matches keywords together. So for example, if you Google best vacuum cleaner and you Google easy to use vacuum cleaner, you will find that actually the best vacuum cleaner pages rank for easy to use vacuum cleaner, right? And it's like, you don't need to create two pages, you can target this query with the same page, these two queries with the same page. And so I like to get uh, to kind of like write down the spectrum of keywords I can target with the one page of content that I'm going to create. There's two reasons for that. The first one is you get to, let's say you're trying to rank for best vacuum cleaner, for example, it's a very hard query to rank for. You're unlikely to rank for it at the beginning, but easy to use vacuum cleaner might be a lot easier to rank for. So you might want to optimize your content for easy to use vacuum cleaner you know, build authority, build some links to it because there's no way you were running for best vacuum cleaner without links to page. And then eventually, when the page has enough authority, switch it to best vacuum cleaner and keep both keywords, basically. And so, like, I like to understand that and kind of, like, have a, a strategy for my page, maybe the easy keyword to rank for it at the, uh, with it at the beginning, and eventually transition and pivot 
to the more difficult keywords that would bring more traffic and make me more money. So that's the time where I'm thinking about this as I'm looking at these things. I'm trying to understand like what percentage of pages rank for easy to use vacuum cleaner that rank for best vacuum cleaner, how related are the queries, that kind of stuff, and decide of a pass basically. So that's the first step of creating content. It doesn't sound like you're creating much content, but that's really that understanding in your head is very important actually. It's really important to do that upfront because it makes the next part so much easier as well. Because once we've done that analysis, we're then going to map out every article that we're, we're chosen as part of our comparison. And we're going to put it into, Gail likes to use a, a Google Sheet. And then we're going to say- It's a very specific thing to me, using Google Sheets. <laughs> well, it's good because you have all these columns, right? And yeah, you can compare side, yeah. the structure of the article. So you take all the H2s, maybe some of the H3s as well, depending on all the important sections, and you label them. And because different articles have different names for sections, you might have like a, a buying guide or a how to pick a vacuum cleaner, whatever it is. What you can do is you can actually color code in Excel those different sections. So you can see, okay, this one has the buying guide at the top. This one has the buying guide down here, but they both have it or all of these articles have it, but this one doesn't. And you really build up a, a visual picture of the structure of each article. And then you can look at the whole sheet and then say, okay, what are the important sections which I must have, which is likely to be the sections which appear in multiple or, or all of the, the, the yeah, articles. Google what, wants them, right? If all the pages that rank have them, it's like, if you don't have this, you probably won't rank, so you should have them. And then occasionally you'll see one article, which is just, you feel is doing a really good job because they've had this extra section. You think, oh, that's a good idea. And then you can take that and you can include that in, in yours as well. So it really just gives you an overview of everything uh, to, to put in and it makes it easy for you to, to select which sections you want to do. Now, once you have an idea... I just want to say, I did a YouTube video where I show an example of that in this uh, revival content. So we'll put a link and you guys can check. But uh, there's, you can see an example of that exact spreadsheet in one of these videos. And I'm pretty sure the case study page I took now ranks top three on Google actually in that video. So it's, it shows you it works basically. So what we want to do is we want to take the best bits, the most common bits, and anything that you think is missing that would make an even better article. And then we want to put that into an initial structure. And what we use for that is a tool called Dynalist, which is basically just a bullet point tool. You can't do anything except make bullet points, indent them and, and stuff. And that forces you to not turn it in or not start writing. And you can kind of move things around very easily. It's just it's a free tool as well. So uh, check that out. It's also featured in that video. Uh, so that's that's kind of what we use. And the, the goal for that section is to create that initial dynalist structure of what our article is going to, to look like. That's all we have to do. We don't have to figure out the detail or anything. That that comes next. And it's just the H2s and H3s. You don't really go deeper yet. And uh, what I like about this is like because you're taking like three to five inspiration websites, you're not just a, cop a carbon copy of like one article, which a lot of people do, right? You, you find in the service, like people just find one article and it's just lazy and it just copy that one. The fact that you take multiple inspirations kind of help you develop something a bit unique. You take that bit from the article, that other bit from this article, that was cool, mixed with like the sections they all have in common so that you match your search intent and you're able to come with something that's a little more refined than just like picking a random article and just copy pasting exactly what they did, which a lot of people do. It works to some extent, but I think you're kind of missing. First of all, I, I wouldn't feel good running our sites that way. Like I don't, I don't like the idea of just copying someone directly exactly. But at the same time, you've got to understand that if Google's looking for these sections, you need to have them. So, and overall, you get better content. You know, that is ultimately what development is, and what you know. There's not. Someone said once, there's no such thing as a new idea. It's just things built on other ideas. So that's what you're doing here. You're taking what's working, you're taking what you know is going to match the search intent, what, what Google is telling you they want, and then you're making something better. And that's the thing, make it better, don't just do the same. Because if you try and imitate, you make it you're not better, gonna... but you don't start from scratch as well. It's kind of like that hybrid thing where it's like you are conscious of what is needed and you're understanding that Google will reward the articles that are structured that way, but you try to go a bit deeper. And that's kind of the point of the next step, actually, which is that's when you're going to like spend more time reading the articles, etc. But the point is going to take each subheading that you've put in your dialogue list 
and research it as if it was its own article almost, but in still be uh, conscious of like what the whole article is. And that's when you can go a little bit deeper than just copying what people have done. You can actually research these topics on like YouTube videos. You can go on Reddit and see what people say. You can read, if you're talking about products and doing product reviews, like go and read the reviews on Amazon for the products and like see what people say about it. Do they like it, do they not like it? And you'll find a lot of points that are not mentioned on the articles that are ranking on Google. And it's kind of like that thing where you create value by adding new information while still matching the search intent structure that is expected. And that's how you bring originality to content these days while being constrained by Google in terms of uh, subtopics and all that stuff, etc. That's this phase of research. So, And usually when you do that research, you go back to your dining list where you only had your headline structure and you add the points you want. I tend to, for each point I want to make in the article for each subsection, I make a point in the it's usually like five, six words, maybe a link or something like this, just so that when I'm going to be writing my article, I can refer to these things. And I think, you know, like a lot of people complain about having fluffy content. That's because this phase is not done right. If you have done this phase right and you have like four or five bullet points per subheading on your article. So your dining list is pretty big. I think we can probably show some examples on screen as we're talking about this. You And then you will just write like a couple of sentences per, like two, three, four sentences per bullet point. Then that's your article, you know? And it's like, this article is fully packed with facts and it's not fluffy. It, it's not just repeating the same thing all again and again. And that's this phase. Like, uh, actually, you know, I, I really want people who have editorial teams to give this podcast to their uh, writers. So if you're like, go ahead, give this podcast to your writers and tell them to focus on that because if you're struggling with fluffy content, that is this section here. And the way you build your dynalist, that is the reason why you have fluffy content. So that's how I do. And go past the subs so that you create something a bit more original while being very likely to rank. So I think the key thing with the research phase specifically is, is giving people one goal to focus on. And that's really to, to just like dump in all of the thoughts and all of the cool things you, you find. Then you can have a separate phase after that where you sort of tweak and finalize the, the full structure. And when you're doing all this research, you really just want to be like throwing it in there. And yeah. then I think later come through and organize it. And that would be the, the sort of like full structure phase where you get all your H2, 3, 4, 5, if you're, if, you're, if you're using them. You have every point you want to make in a bullet point. It can, it can be messy. It's, you're not writing at this phase yet, but you have every point you want to make under every heading. And then you go even further and any extra resource you want, any quotes, any stats, any if you, if you need to link to someone, say this person says this, or according to users, they had this problem with the battery or something like that. Get those quotes, get those links, get those references. Uh, graphics as well, if you're thinking of getting anything made up specifically for the article, like illustrations. We're a big fan of uh, going old school on this. Yeah. So <laughs> literally a pen and paper. And yeah, remember those things. Just sketch something out. And honestly, like we're terrible at this. We draw like stick men. I'll give examples to, to Maxim as well to put on the podcast because it's like, uh, it's pretty funny. Some of my drawings. So maybe, maybe <laughs> he can like, with the magic of video editing, we can have like a before and an after. Yeah. And uh, we, we can sort of compare, compare them that way. Uh, and you can see. But it's important to start thinking about these things at, at this stage because that can take a little bit of time to produce as well and it can be really important to illustrate certain points. Yeah, and you know, when you do it in Danlist, you can drag and drop things all around all the time. So it's like, don't worry about dumping something in the wrong place. And then uh, once you're done with your research phase, you probably have this reorganization phase where you just like move things around. Maybe, oh, this heading would be better here, etc. Now that you have the information, that's the time when uh, when you can do that. So don't worry about dumping first and then organizing after. That's pretty much that research phase before you jump into the writing. I'll let you do the writing, actually. It's quite normal during the when you're doing the full structure that you're questioning your you're you're questioning your very existing. You think, is this really the right way to do it? Wouldn't it make better doing it this way? And you go back and forth and back and forth, having those debates with yourself or with your team while you're doing the structure. Um, will just make the the writing phase so easy and so painless. Like all of the hard work is up until this point. So when we get to the actual writing phase, normally how writers do it is they just this is when they do all the research. They start writing and think, oh, I need to find out about like the battery life of this 
cordless vacuum cleaner, so I'll go research that. But because you've done it all before, you have all that information, all that data, everything you want to quote, you've even got your images starting to be be made. You literally just fill in the blanks and, and start writing. And Another thing as well is if you research your subheadings and not your main topic, it makes your article more precise. So for example, like as I said, like if you mentioned the battery life, if you're really digging into a battery life and like digging like, oh, how big is the capacity of the battery? How many watts per hour can the battery take when it charges? Does it charge slow? Does it charge fast? Like you're not asking the question of like, you know, I don't know, let's say it was a drone review. Like, let's say you were reviewing a DJI Mavic Air 2 or something. It's like, you're not really asking the question of, like, is this a good drone? You're asking, like, what is the battery life? Like, how long does it take to charge? And because most people, when they research, they just research Mavic Air 2 review. And then it's like the battery life is such a small topic and it's like most people just kind of brushed over. You're not going to get a lot of information. But if you kind of change your perspective of your research on just that subheading as if it was its own article, you're going to dig out a lot more interesting facts and that's what will make your article stand out, actually. So, yeah, have that opinion. Like, diverge away from your main topic to your subheadings as if they were single articles. The order of writing your article is also very important. So basically do your intro last. Start after your intro finishes and just start start in the body, go through it. You should probably be writing a couple, two, three sentences per bullet point or per point that you have on your Dynalist. And you know, it depends on your style. We're big advocates of very short paragraphs. Gail sometimes does like, you know, two-word paragraphs. If you've read any of his uh, emails, you can go to authorityhacker.com forward slash subscribe to get those every week. But in terms of blog posts, we really do write very, very short, succinct sentences and uh, paragraphs, sorry. And it's fine to have single sentence paragraphs and several of them in a row, even if you keep one point per paragraph, that's it just makes it easier to read as well. And that's really it. There's not too much complexity around the body because you've done all this work before. When it comes to the outro and the intro, we'll get to it as well. These are two point areas which people often fail at because they even if they write a really good article and the intro sucks and the outro sucks, it kind of kills it. The biggest problem that people have is they make it too long. They write 100 words or 150 words and they're kind of repeating themselves or especially when it comes to the intro, it's just super fluffy and you know, just you can look at it and you think, yeah, this is just another like half-assed SEO article that why am I going to read this? Especially in these days where people have such short attention spans. You don't need to beat around the bush too much. When it comes to the outro, just wrap up really quickly, briefly summarize what you want to do and have a CTA in there. It doesn't matter if it's an affiliate article, then obviously you're going to link to the, the product. If it's an info article and they finish reading, what are they supposed to do next? Most likely you have another info article or uh, another article that... Oh, opt into your list. Opt into your email list. Yeah, or if you sell products, then you know maybe push them towards that as well. But don't just finish it off and say, oh, well, thanks for reading, goodbye. Yeah, get the You want to keep them. You, you've earned their <laughs> attention. You want to uh, keep them on your site, take them to, to, to another page and uh, and think of that. Now, when it comes to intros, we have slightly differing opinions about this sometimes. Uh, so do you want to explain your thoughts on this first? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like the way I write intros really comes from my the way I went through school. Like I feel like now it's like it's flashing back and like a, the, the the image becomes black and white and everything. <laughs> it's like, but we used to write a lot. Like French education system makes you write a lot. Like we have, were having like four hour dissertations to write on Saturday mornings and stuff. Like it was like pretty intense. But like the way they forced us to write intros, or you would not pass was write a problematic. So a problematic would be defining the problem you want to answer in your article. So for example, is a DJI Mavic Air 2 worth your money or can you put the same amount of money somewhere else? Uh, what are its shortcomings and what is it shining over the competition? Like You define the questions you want to ask in your introduction so that there's a goal to your article, right? If I answer these questions, it's pretty good. And usually you would... Also, before you expose your problematic, you would go, you would start the very beginning of your intro either quoting a statistic. So, for example, I'd be like, well, DJI is the biggest drone manufacturer in the world. They actually have sold over 6 million drones just in the past quarter, and everyone is just like fighting to get theirs. They're actually out of stock. Now, 
the new DJI Mavic Air 2 just came out. Is it what is it the worthy successor of the previous DJI Mavic Air? Does it fix the shortcomings and has the competition heated up and caught up with them, or is DJI still the king of the industry? That would be something like I would write like this. You could either do that or you could start, if you don't have stats, you can start with a short personal story around that. So it would be maybe like, oh, when the first DJI Mavic came out, I was very excited because it was much smaller than the previous Phantom 4 that was really big and heavy and you did a whole backpack, whereas this would fit in your pocket. But I never ended up using it because this and this and this. The DJI Mavic Air 2 just came out and it has this feature and this feature that addresses my issue. Is it now a worthy drone for everyone to buy or is it still a very enthusiast market that is trying to go mainstream? And then that would be my interesting thing. So that, you basically always ask a question and you start with a stat or with a short personal story that makes people interested or makes people react, you know? I think the power in that is that you're making it more about you, the author, and people follow people. People like to, to hear what people have to say rather than just this like generic faceless review on a some unknown third-party website. What I like to do that's slightly different is to actually answer the question straight away. So is it good? Yes or no? And briefly, in one sentence, say why. So the DJI Mavic is a great drone because it has a 30-minute battery life, which is 30% more than its closest competitor for half the price. Or I'm just making that up. But whatever it is, say something like that. It's a lot easier to do that in commercial content, though, than, than info content sometimes. But I, I like to do that because I'm a skim reader, so I don't read everything word for word when I'm reading a 2,000-word review. I look for the key, like the, the juicy points, like what are the, the things I want to uh, get out of it. I, I scroll, I sometimes go up and down, and uh, you know my, eye, my attention's caught by all the bullet points and images and headings and stuff. So that's how I consume content, and a lot of people are the same. So that's why I like to start it off by giving the answer. And it also gives you in commercial content the opportunity to link to the, the product as well. And sometimes people will be like, this is a great product because this, here's the link, click, buy, okay, you can make your commission on I agree, that. I agree on that. It's funny actually, one thing that's revealing is actually the way you're describing is the way you're taught to write in the Anglo-Saxon culture. And the way I'm describing is the way we're taught to write in the French culture, because when I did my isn't, studies... Isn't Anglo-Saxon French originally, like, isn't that word like... Probably, it might be. The Saxons were from France and they came to Yeah, England yeah, but then they invaded over. each other a million times and then it's just like... Yeah. Uh, but anyway, like, I switched from the French education system to the American one when I did my uh, studies in university. And so the way we had to write, I had to, had to swap to the way you're describing. The way I counter that is that I make my subheadings and so, like, you can read the article with just reading the subheadings. I think a really good example of, of, of that work on subheadings is actually the Autorized System sales page. You can go check on autoricor.com slash system. You can pretty much read the sales page without reading any of the small content, just reading the headlines and understand what's going on here. So I kind of like counter that more open-ended intros that don't give you the answer with the fact that you can just scroll down and read the headlines and just kind of get your answer. Like, you know, I'd be like, uh, Mavic Air 2 has... 28 minute battery life. It's like a beats the competition by 10 minutes. A battery life beats the competition. Like something like this so that you don't have to read the whole section below. You can just get your answers through that. But it's, I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I think it's just, it depends how talented you are at executing them, I believe. Both ways can work, but you need to do it well. So for example, a problem we have is I try to tell some of our writers sometimes to do the personal stories thing, but they go way too far. You know, like when I write personal stories, it's like, three, four lines, you know, it's really, really short. And then I just jump into my topic. Otherwise, it's like story of my life, not really the article, you know. <laughs> and writers tend to like literally write like a whole, like two paragraphs of like a whole story. And it's like, I'm like, well, you've lost me. I came for this page about this. And now you're just telling me that story about your grandma and I don't really care, you know. <laughs> and it's like, so it's like, you've got to know how to do it uh, really well. I think one one that is pretty good is the site architecture on uh, Autority Hacker. I, I give these examples on Autority Hacker because I wrote them, you know. But like the site architecture intro, yeah, literally the we'll, shows. We'll link it here. But yeah, we'll link it here I think we that. can even show it. But like literally the, the, the personal story is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It's 10 words, right? It just says, 
poor website architecture is like a messy desktop. It's unbearable. And then I put a screenshot of like a horrible desktop with millions of images and files, etc. And then I say, but you shouldn't try to organize your SEO structure for me. You should do it for your rankings. And then I just show the rankings going up on the site that we fixed, basically. And it's like, that is how short you can make a personal story. It's like, you, you start with something that's completely unrelated, a messy desktop. But like, it's just, I make the analogy with the messy site structure and I jump back right in the topic right away. Like, I don't spend too much time telling people why messy desktops are annoying, etc. I'm just using an image to illustrate, people get it, and then just let's get on to the topic. So you can do these things, but it's all about execution. I think this one is like one of the most brief versions of that, you know? Okay, I think we should move on to editing because we could probably yeah. do a whole podcast on, yeah, yeah, yeah. on uh, article talk. intros <laughs> yeah. if, if we really, really wanted to, and maybe we will at some point in the future. But to get through the rest of the points, uh, the next section is editing, and there, there's really two types of editing. There's the, the technical spelling and grammar type editing, which, I mean, to be honest, you, you can do a lot or you'll get a lot just typing in Google Docs or Word, like the, the spell yeah, checker will, will yeah. pick stuff up. But not everything. But there are better tools like Hemingway app and Grammarly, which address things which that's not going to pick up, such as, is it easy to read? Is a sentence way too long? We see a lot of like university college graduates who have been writing longer dissertations in a more kind of academic way. When they come to write for the web, their sentence structure is way too long. You stick it in Hemingway app and it's all red and yellow and it's, the sentences are too long. So they need to learn to shorten the sentences. If you have more than one comma in a sentence, Really think: Is this is this necessary? Can this be be two sentences? Can this be even be more more paragraphs? Um, I know you've been using Grammarly a lot to fix yeah. certain things. What, what do you like most about it? I like that it's not just about fixing grammar. It's like identifies sentences that are too long. It fixes like proper comma issues. Identifies when you repeat the same words all the time, which like for non-native speakers is very common. It like proposes synonyms, for example, to make the vocabulary more rich. You can do the settings, like you can say like, usually I always set it to like casual and like the lowest level of reading pretty much. And it really helps me like uh, break down sentences, like long sentences into multiple sentences, etc. It's expensive. I mean, it's $144 per year. What's the difference between the free version and the paid version? Then? So the free version is basically a glorified spell checker from Microsoft Word, you know, and then Grammarly Premium literally has like pretty much AI writing in there, right? So it can, it rewrites your sentences as well for you quite often. So quite often I click on a suggestion and they literally have rewritten the, the sentence for me, broken it down in, multi, in two sentences, etc. And I just click accept and it's done, you know? And it saves me a lot of time. Like it makes the editing fast. Like let's say I'm like putting a newsletter into that. Like it's only a five minute process to go through like eight, nine, hundred, a thousand words or something. And yeah, it's pretty good. The only, there's two things that are annoying. I mean, first thing, the premium also has the duplicate checker. So you can check for plagiarism if your writers give you copy-pasted content, which can happen. Quite nice. And it works just as well as Copyscape. So it's like, you know, if you were already spending money on a duplicate checker tool, maybe you can allocate that budget to Grammarly and then it's not as bad, the price. But the problem is that most functions do not work they don't all work with the Chrome plugin. So there's a Chrome plugin and you can edit your your stuff in like Google Docs, for example, if you're writing and get Grammarly suggestions right there. But they don't have as many as if you go in the app. So you often need to like, if you want the full power of the application, you need to copy your content from Google Docs, put it in Grammarly, then you get the full suggestion and bring it back to Google Docs. Uh, and that's a little annoying. I really wish the Chrome extension did everything and that would be totally worth it. But if you're not a native speaker and you want to create your own content, I think it's, a, I'll go as far as saying this is almost like an AI writing tool like it's becoming that I can see Grammarly is going to become like a Jarvis one day you know like this is the the direction of the company and it's like there's already a little bit of that I'm not I wouldn't be surprised or, or if Jasper is there Jasper, going by sorry, now after no. changing their name for the third yeah, time so, I believe so, I mean in three months it's going to be another name so it's like it's going to be outdated first this podcast but yeah overall I really really like it I don't think it's cheap I think 99 a year would be fair this is a little expensive, I think. I think, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't work without it. If you can afford it, it's pretty good. One other strategy you can use for the technical editing side is just to read your article but speak it aloud. Often, when you're reading things, you read what you want to see there, and you can miss things which, which you're missing. Or again, when you have these situations where you're saying the start of two sentences is the same, or there's a lot of word repetition, you'll pick those up much 
much quicker if you're speaking the article. So that can be a good strategy and it's free as well. The other type of editing you have is the more sort of subjective editing. So you want to look through it and really ask yourself, does this communicate well to the typical person searching for this? So you have to put yourself in the mindset of someone who's searching for how long does a DJI Mavic battery last for? And you, what do they know? What do they not know? And then look to see if your article presumes the right things. Because if you start your article by saying, a DJI Mavic is a drone that does X, Y, Z, I mean, they already know that stuff. Uh, so you really have to be careful that you're not preaching to the choir here and telling them what, what they already know. Yeah, and you need to go a little bit in the details. Like if I read a review that talks about battery life, I expect them to talk about weather conditions, whether that's the wind, the temperature as well matters a lot for batteries as people who have electric vehicles probably know, things like that, like, and, you know, altitude, things like that, because the air gets thinner as you get higher, so the battery needs... You would expect that it goes to that level of detail if you're actually someone who is interested in that topic, and I'll be honest, most articles don't. And so that's one of these things that you can go and pick up like on Reddit or YouTube videos often do a better job at talking about these very precise things. So that's your research. Like that's going back to your research and that's how you go the extra mile. That's how you make better content than everyone while matching search intent. Like it's, I've often been complaining about that, but that's how you do this, you know? So Reddit is great because people just give their unfiltered opinion and you, you get the you get to the meat and bones of a, a topic. YouTube is also good sometimes because the editorial barrier and the effort people put in to create content for YouTube is much higher than it is on social media or writing a blog post. And typically people will get torn apart if they're speaking shit, whereas that doesn't really happen on blog posts to the same extent. So you can often, not always, but often rely on the content better. For, the comments on the YouTube videos like as well. Like, if you want to find discussions about topics, comments on YouTube are one of the most active community online. Like, I would say it's probably first or second community. But that's online. a lot of shit in there, but you know, there, you can there are some, some gems stuff. As well. Yeah, exactly. Like, you obviously need to go through this, but that's the that's the research phase, basically. Okay, so once you've done the editing, where we can talk about Surfer and kind of like on-page tools now. I think it's kind of the time we use Surfer SEO. We use the content editor and we use the Chrome plugin with it, so we write in Google Docs. And we see the suggestions on the right with Surfer telling us the keywords. And usually you kind of like, you know, as you write, you kind of like check on the right. There's like a filtering function if you're writing something specific. And you add your keywords as you go and try to go as high as you possibly can, right? That's usually how we do that. I actually made another YouTube video, as I said, I have done several I can mention in this podcast, on creating the perfect SEO editor. So I mentioned how we use it a little bit deeper there. But I that's how we use this tool, we use Surfer, but you could be using Phrase, for example, is pretty good, and a few others, like it, Surfer is not the only one in town anymore. That's how we do that. And then after that, we do the, after we're done writing, we move things to the editing. So that's when we copy-paste in Grammarly, do all these things, etc. And I bring it back to Google Doc quite often. And then we do kind of like one last layer of uh, checking that we didn't de-optimize the article as we did the editing. And then that's pretty much how we use on-page tools here. And then we make sure we are, I mean, people will want me to give a score. Usually we make sure our articles are above 66, so kind of like in the green for Surfer. I know a lot of people obsess over getting like the 100 score or 90, etc. Like it's quite often our articles get to like 75, 80, but like these tools are not Google. I want to say like a lot of writers focus on that as well. And it's kind of like Ahrefs metrics, like Ahrefs, DR is not Google as well. And Google is much more sophisticated than all of these tools. These are merely guidelines. And so like, as long as you're kind of in the green, you are good. You don't need to obsess over being the perfect score. You will probably not rank higher. You're better off creating a second article that is in the green as well than obsessing over making that one article perfect. Just throw it in there, publish it, see where you rank, and then tweak it after if you want, if you don't rank as high as you expected. But often this is not really going to be the deciding factor of whether you're doing well or not. Things like size structure, internal links, etc., will matter more than you having the perfect score on these tools. So they're useful, but don't go overboard like many people do these days. It's kind of like, I'm like, yeah, you don't get it. Like I see a lot of people, you know, posting the screenshots on the surfer group or something. Like, oh my God, 99, etc. I'm like, yeah, that you wasted probably a couple hours on your life. Diminishing yeah. returns, yeah. <laughs> extreme diminishing returns there for sure. Yeah, I like it, but I, and we use it, but you need to take all these tools, like they're all extremely vague data. And that's how you need to take it. They're guidelines. So the, the important thing there, though, is use Surfer a little bit as you're, as you're writing. Don't obsess over it there. 
after you've done the editing, because remember when you do the editing, a lot of the text is going to change and you yeah, may have to like redo certain sections. Yeah. You might end up de-optimizing. So that's why you have a second like proper run through of Surfer and like take it to how, how far you want it at that point. Yep. Now after we've after we've done that, we can we can talk about images if you want. So if you've been working with an illustrator or a designer, then you know you you probably got them. You just stick them in the the article at this point. It's not not a big deal. A lot of the time, though, you'll want to find your own images using something like Unsplash or Pexels, which are free stock image tools. They're okay. They're pretty good. It's okay. Like for for stock images, it's okay. But stock images are stock images, you know. Yeah. Not too long ago, people would just. If they're doing a list post of 10 things, they stick 10 stock images in there and call it a day. Okay, we've got, got some images. And uh, you used to find a lot of articles using the same images and they just weren't per- particularly good. And they, they lose a bit off from each other because they're all taken in different light conditions and things like that. You can actually use image editing tools like Canva or what was the other free one that was really good? That, like You could apply like a, a filter to it. I mean, I guess any Im- image Canva editing has a free tier where you can that. do that, so... Does it? Okay. Yeah. So if you ju- if you apply the same filter to every image, you can sometimes make them look just a little bit more consistent, and it can add this like just subtle effect. Yeah, to your, it's like the, branding the on branding your of your site. Yeah. I just want to say I use another tool. I use and now I use Pixelmator Pro. If you have a Mac, it's great. It's like it's thirty five euros, but for for life. You know, you pay once, no subscription, no. no. So it's pretty good. It's like 80% of Photoshop, but 80% easier to use, you know? And if you have a Mac, it's a, it's a cool, and you don't want to add another subscription because I always try to find alternatives that don't have subscriptions for people because like that is kind of like the ultimate profit drainer is like having so too many get subscriptions. Yeah, Pixelmator Pro is excellent. They have a good YouTube channel where you can learn how to use it as well. And you will probably need to, in, it's a little bit less intuitive than Canva, but not a lot. And uh, yeah, you can actually do better stuff with it. So most of the stuff we do, I do that. And this is also a good time to think about your headline image or featured image that you you want to use. This is going to be what's displayed like in your blog feed or on your homepage or category page where wherever um, that's being pulled, but also when your article is being shared on social or sometimes at the top of the article if you if you do it that way. And it can simply be a, an image from from your article and you can write some text on it and call it a day. It doesn't have to be too too complicated. We talked about Unsplash and Pexels as the free stock image sites. You can also use paid ones. So there's Deposit Photos, which is kind of like the the value option. It has a lot of images Absumo in there. Absumo runs it as well, right? It's pretty, it's pretty cheap. I don't think Absumo run it. They just they have it they once or have twice a Absumo, year. They have Absumo promotions, but it's not owned by Absumo. Yeah. No, it's not. But like the value way to get stock images is wait for that once or twice promo per year on Absumo, buy a bunch of credit. And then it's like, you know, it's like a third of the price that you would pay normally. It's like much, much cheaper. We've still got credits from five years ago. Whatever, <laughs> yeah, because we bought so many. First did it. And so like a lot of people, the H Pro community, or like every time it, this deal comes up, they just share it on the group. Everyone buys a bunch, and then that's how you get the best value for stock images. It, it's a one-off payment. You buy a lot of credits, and yeah, you can fill your website with images, and it's okay. Like it still looks like stock photos. I would still recommend editing them a bit, etc. But as far as uh, you know, value per dollar, it's probably one of the best for paid stock photos. And you have Shutterstock, right? Which is like the the high end. But to be honest, I don't think most people listening to this podcast will use Shutterstock. It's just expensive for what it is. I don't. Think yeah, it's, it's really price. expensive. Yeah, I would not recommend people do that. My recommendation is use the free ones and grab some deposit photos deal when they come up. And if you have a Mac, buy a Pixel Mator Pro, and then you have zero subscriptions for your images. You just buy one of credits for the cheapest on Absumo and use the free ones and edit them for, I mean, not for free, but for that one-time fee. Like I bought this tool like five years ago now. I'm still using it and I'm still on it. So it's like, that's my recommendation in terms of value for creating your images while still doing okay, basically. Uh, So the next thing I want to talk about is links. So there's two considerations here, internal and external links. So you obviously haven't published the article yet, so you can't link to it yet because the URL doesn't exist, or it would it would be a four hundred four. We get we'll get to that at the end when we publish the article. But when you're creating your article at this point, you want to find opportunities to link link out from this article to other articles on your site. So there's a couple of ways to do that. You should ideally have a target list of 
top targets, pages that you want to push on your site and the more internal links that you can push to those, then the better. Aside from that, you can go to Google and search for, put in, uh, in their site, colon, yourdomain.com, and then just a keyword. And that's just going to search on your site and it's going to find all of the results to do with batteries or drones or that's whatever, whatever don't, it may Don't search may for be. your main keyword, though. Search for subtopics that you're talking about. So if you're talking about battery life, for example, search for that. Search for battery life, things like that, etc., and look for articles. And what I like about that tactic is that Google gives you the pages they deem the most relevant for this, which means like, like you get a layer of the algorithm that tells you which pages should be linked here more than like a WordPress search, which is absolutely terrible or something like this. Yeah, and then the last one I think is the Google Doc internal link trick. So actually, you can Google from Google Docs, which is really powerful. You can select a word you want to link. And like for example, I'll be typing Autoria Hacker Site Architecture, and it will show me like that page, and I can click and it will add the link actually. So that works pretty well. I wanted to say as well about rewriting to add internal links. So very often when I want to push a page, I often like I, I re-edit my article to bring up slightly that topic so that I have an opportunity to link. Or I edit the article to have the exact anchor text of the keyword I'm trying to rank the page I'm linking to for so that you boost that page further by giving extra relevancy. But like, yeah, that's the, how you do your internal linking. Uh, I don't want to make like a lot of people use plugins these days to do internal links. We don't actually like, um, I mean, we tried Link Whisper, it's okay. Like if you want to use it, it's fine. But we like to have this kind of like deliberate decision of how we internal link. Cause I think sometimes people internal link too much to not that useful pages. And what it does, it kind of like dissolves the page rank across too many pages. It doesn't make as much of an impact. So having internal links is good, but I like to have that deliberate intention from the SEO person to do that rather than just automate it with a plugin. But Link Whisper works fine if you want to use it, and uh, it's it, it's fine. But then you would do it later after you published, not now. Okay, so if you're doing simple uploads, very simple articles, just like images and text, you can even use automated tools like Wordable to uh, to like basically transfer a Google Doc to your WordPress site. It works pretty well. Uh, you do need. Why to is that better than just copy pasting it? it? Because it uploads the images to the to the media library on WordPress instead of hot linking to, otherwise you need to re-upload your images. Because when you copy paste, it will link to the Google Doc version of the image. It will not upload the image. Right, Which okay. means that, like you delete the Google Doc and all your images break. So like it will, if you want to save some time, you can do that. Or you can just copy paste and then re-upload the images and redo. Depends how many images you have, right? It's, it really depends. But Gutenberg handles copy paste a lot better than the classic editor. So if you are doing that, it's okay. You can add CTA styling boxes, etc. That's the plan when you do that. We use Generate Press for that now on prim on all our sites. Now that we switch to Hacker, all our sites are now off page builders and using that. You write your title tag at this point as well. So again, you want your main keyword. Uh, on top. I made a whole article on that as well. We've done data studies on that, but you want a keyword at the beginning. You want, you might want to, like that's when, you know, the when you were selecting the path of your page, maybe you picked a lower competition keyword at first, you might want to optimize for this one and write your title tag later when you're going to re-optimize for the bigger one, like best vacuum cleaner. So write your title tag, write your meta description, uh, write all of that. And then uh, we do, if we are uploading the images ourselves, uh, we do image optimization at that point as well. So we compress them. Like even though we're using either Bunny Optimizer or Nitro Pack, depending on the sites, which have image optimization things, we still compress the images to be quite small using Pixelmator Pro as well. We use that tool. It's uh, yeah, it, it just has an export for the web and you get you have all the features and often you can cut the image size in half or in a third or something. It looks the same. It helps a lot. And then after that, your image optimization system will take over. We also have, we create a new folder for the media. We use a plugin called WP Media Folder, which kind of like transform, you know, the media library in WordPress, it normally it's just like you throw your stuff in and you just get a giant list and that's it. Well, this allows you to create folders, etc. So we create one folder per post and it allows us to keep things organized and not get too overwhelmed when your site has thousands and thousands of images. And we also rename the images to match the keywords that we, they both, either use the keyword or they're descriptive and we write alt tags as well for all of them uh, at that phase. So the upload phase has pretty decent image optimization happening at the same time. Uh, so that's the upload phase really, like it's not too bad. 
And then to finish off is the the publish phase. And I know a lot of people think this is just click publish, and it is. Uh, but there's there's a, a few extra things well, happen we can talk at this five point. About it. <laughs> there's a few extra things happen at this point. But first, I want to talk about a question we get a lot, which is: Should you publish in batches or just throw everything up as soon as it's ready? And typically, we're in favor of putting up as soon as it's ready. But what often happens is we end up publishing like five articles at the same time, just because. As things are coming through our process, when it comes to like the editor, the SEO person, they tend to just batch their work. They like they're not doing it as soon as something comes through. They'll do it every two, three days. Uh, so inevitably, they're they come in small batches. But I'm a big proponent of just publishing it as soon as possible. Even if you've got a new site, uh, it gets out there faster and um, it ages the you know, page. It well. gets it to index and age. Yeah. Yeah. So when you hit publish, first thing, go check the actual live version because often there'll be some mistake or something won't have worked or some image will have broken and just go have a visual look, read through it and, and make sure it's working fine. Add it to your rank tracker. So whatever you're using for that, add the keyword and any variations you're targeting to there so you can keep an eye on it as well. And then this is the point where you want to do the kind of reverse internal linking. So if there are other pages on your site that you can link from to this one you've just published, then go and find those, add those internal links at this point. It may give it a, an extra little push. And you can also add it to your external link target list. So if you feel like you're going to need to build some links to get it moving, then this is the point to start thinking about that and start doing that. There are kind of two ways to think about this, and it depends what how your site's performing. So typically a site will either be in this position where you publish a post and then within a matter of hours or days, you figure out where you're going to rank. It kind of lets you loose. And then for other sites, typically newer sites or lower authority sites, you're publishing something and it can be six months plus before you seem to even stand a chance of, of ranking and of, of being con considered. So depending on, on which mode you're in will depend on the kind of priority of where you want to be pushing link building for that, I would say. Uh, anything else to add on publishing? No, nah, really. The really important stuff is, that, uh, yeah, submit it in Webmasters Console so it's indexed faster. So, like, we do that. It's like, if your site has enough authority, it should be indexed pretty fast. If you are a new site, expect to wait a while. That's just how Google works, but um, it just helps. Sometimes, like, on sites that are a bit older and bigger, like, it will make you rank significantly earlier by doing this. So, I would do that as well. If you have a content promotion process and you're big on social and all that, obviously this That's is the point then, when yeah. you, you kick off kick off that. But to be honest, we very rarely do that. Which, I think we should share our content better. I think we don't do a good job on social for that. Yeah. But also it's important to understand that social sharing drives some traffic, but unless you have really a big following, it's also like not that big of a deal, you know. For most people who, who do sites the way I think they do, it doesn't matter that much. Unless you do Pinterest and you're big there, maybe. It's also not as good as it used to be because the algorithms uh, yeah. favor, you know, just different types of content, paid content. You, you share stuff on your Facebook page and hardly any of your followers, your organic followers actually You need to create it, content so. for the platforms. Like, you need to create content yeah. that will be popular on Facebook, etc. It's like, it's not really the same as your SEO content that's targeting an evergreen keyword or something. So it's, yeah. it's unlikely that this kind of article will do extremely well on Facebook. I mean, you know, if I share an article on Facebook on some sites, we get like 100 clicks or something. Great. But is it does it really pay the bills at the end of the month? Not really. And it's kind of a one-off 100 thing. So it's like, sometimes we do it, we probably should do it more, but I don't think it's game breaker anymore, unless you're like a big influencer or something. So yeah, that's pretty much our editorial process post uh, search intent. It's like, I'm happy we finally kind of like nailed the way to add value while still playing around search intent. It was something that like, you know, it it's often feels like it's just a copy-paste game at this point. You can go a little bit deeper than that. And I think that this ability to go deeper over time will become the thing that makes you stand above the crowd, rank higher, etc. And people who will have this ability, like because search and is still pretty new, like people are just adapting to it, but eventually as it becomes more competitive, I think these little nuances that we try to bring into this podcast will be what makes the difference between all these uh, samey articles that are 
treating of the same topic. So uh, I would recommend you start implementing this stuff. So hopefully when this becomes more competitive, you are in a good place and you are not losing your rankings, losing traffic, etc. Because I'm telling you, we will hear stories about that when people who have just done copy-paste articles start being outpaced by people who try to push it a little bit deeper. So that's pretty much it for this podcast. If you guys enjoy it, don't forget to subscribe, like, drop us a comment, tell us what you want us to talk about next. We are off to Portugal with Mark now. I can't wait. I'm so happy. The winter has been long. So thank you for listening and we'll see you in two weeks for another episode. Bye.